Welcome to Level 7, Episode 384, and Comic Book Time Machine, Episode 181, and Swamp Things, Comic Book Muck Monsters and Mud Men. I can't remember the subtitle for that. Episode 22, and we're talking about Werewolf by Night. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of... Welcome to Level 7, Comic Time Machine, and Swamp Things. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I am also someone who is not above reusing and repurposing. And so this is going out in three different feeds because, hey, why not? I mean, I haven't released a Swamp Things episode for, well, it's been months. It's been long months. It's been since March. <laughs> so there's that. So you're releasing it's, three feeds, releasing three things. Yeah. Does that mean I get paid three times what I got paid for once? Oh yeah, no, 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 very, no, absolutely. Uh, you nice. know, you get the nice. You get the initial host fee that just is That's part right. of the regular package. Yeah, That's but right. then there's also the um, so, appearance fee. So, so, so we do some double quick pe- math. appearance fee. Um, zero times zero times zero is zero, right? Uh, I'll have to check the math with the lawyers, but I okay, think that's thanks. about right. Yeah. It so that voice be... you just heard, <laughs> the voice you yes. just heard is Stuart. And yes. so, if you are listening on the Comic Book Time Machine, Stuart is a longtime co-host for the Welcome to Level Seven podcast, and he has spent a lot of time talking about a lot of Marvel with me. I'm not sure how much about Man Thing he knows, other than he knows it's one of my favorite characters. And we'll talk about one the of, werewolf as well. One of. Yeah, yeah, one of for sure. The it's your favorite. I would assume it's your favorite character. I, I that's why I'm saying one of. I I I, I don't know. I mean, because Coulson is up there, right? If I was pinned to a wall and said, "What is Ben Avery's favorite Marvel character?" My first, th- I don't know, Swamp Thing. Which would be wrong. It'd be man thing. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, I mean, if I'm looking at my shelf for Marvel characters, there's definitely a significant number of, of man thing graphic novels. But close to that is, well, I guess as far as Marvel goes, there's really nothing that's that close. <laughs> Honestly, there's a lot of horror stuff and. Yeah. Okay. Hercules is up there. I mean, Hercules uh, is one of my favorite Marvel characters as well, but yeah. And the Great Lakes Avengers. I love them, but there aren't as many appearances to really create much. And then Hulk. I have a lot of Hulk graphic novels, which surprised me at one point when I realized, oh, I read so many Hulk comics. He's one of my favorite characters because I've read so much. I, I couldn't say yeah, he's not. Yeah, I mean... I'm- it makes sense. He's, he's, you know, when you think about comics and you think about 
the art of them having a big green guy is going to be a lot easier to make interesting than having, you know, a guy who flies around in a robot suit or an iron suit. Yeah. So if you're talking about favorite Marvel characters, Man Thing is up there. Howard the Duck is up there. Hercules, Great Lakes Avengers, which we didn't even get to talk about yet on She-Hulk, but there's a Great Lakes Avengers character going on over there. Um, is there really? Oh, we got to do hey, that episode. We'll talk next. about it when we get there. It's not next for us. No, it's not. <laughs> We're behind. And I apologize to all comic book uh, time machine and welcome to love of seven feed people. If you're listening to our feeds, I, you know, life is happening and life. I won't say life is getting in the way because that's not the way it works, but life is happening and other stuff have to happen. And, but here we are, you know, and I hope you enjoy what we're going to talk about right now, which is werewolf by night. And I'm actually hitting play right now on this so that we can try and make sure that our episode is going to be shorter <laughs> from this point on than, than the episode of well, the special presentation of werewolf by night. So here I go. I'm hitting play on that. That's, that's one of the coolest things, by the way. Well, let's start there as we're talking about this thing. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the opening. So it starts with the Disney Plus click, and then it goes into this rainbow lights zooming around, and it says Marvel Studios special presentation. And man, so okay, so may, do we want to treat this like a movie? Do you want to talk about how you first saw it? Yeah, yeah. So how did you how did you first view this? I woke up at three o'clock in the morning or so, and I wasn't feeling good. That's why I woke up and I looked at my clock and I looked at my iPad and I'd just been on the road for nine hours and got home at midnight. And I'm just like, hmm, you know, it's right here. <laughs> I, I, I could watch this right now. And then I said, no, that's, that's, that's not good. You should go back to sleep. So I did. I went back to sleep. And then I woke up at five o'clock and I was like, I'm just going to watch it right now. <laughs> and so I did. I <laughs> and really enjoyed myself. And then I went back to sleep. So I, I remember doing that with WandaVision <laughs> episodes because I was in a hotel room or something and I was able to, to sit down and watch them like that. So for me, I don't remember if I got to see it on the, because it was released on Friday. It was Thursday was it night. Thursday? Well, Friday morning, three in the morning. So, yeah. Okay. So yeah. I would have been able to see it Friday evening. So Friday evening, put a whole day of work in, get downstairs to the basement. I've got a, a projector set up, nothing fancy, but just a little bit bigger than a regular TV, you know, and I, the, that room has no outside windows. So I'm able to like make it dark. So it's pitch black, which is perfect for this movie. And I'm watching it and it's fairly big. And I'm thinking to myself, this is what it would be like to be in a movie theater 
in the 40s and or you know 50s watching the monster mash on the mummy or whatever frankenstein in the mm-hmm. big screen it was cool i was so that was exciting and there's the little blips in the corner for the <laughs> real changes loved it loved it yeah yeah so i mean we could start with style and talk about that and just oh this it oozes style and it oozes uh nostalgia yeah it with the the special presentation, which takes me back to CBS special presentation and ABC special presentations, and you know, and they'd have the the drums, the do 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 kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then you know you're in for something different. You're in for something special, so to speak. Uh, and so, just with that, okay, we're gonna hit the nostalgia of your your '80s kids, and you're hoping it wasn't the president. Yeah, yeah. That's not what they would put for like if the president's interrupting something, but it might be what they would put for if the if it was planned. But yeah, I mean, you knew what was coming because you had the TV guide from the newspaper. That's true, and it had the grid, and you were able to look at the grid, and uh, you know, so that was cool. But then it goes into the Marvel Studios anthem, mm-hmm. which is in black and white, but then it has like. The percussion is punctuated by screams and claws clawing through the the picture. And the anthem moves into a minor key. And so you've got Michael Giacchino, which that's the way we're saying it, or I'm saying it. If it's right or wrong, I'm sorry. But we got to pick, pick one, go with it. And Michael, I know that I've heard different ways. and Call into the show. Otherwise, we can say it however we need to. <laughs> I guess if Kevin Feige is listening, he can correct us as well. But short of those two guys. Which he never did. I think he was just okay with us because he never did correct yeah. us. So he hasn't corrected us yeah. yet. So, <laughs> But yeah, so they um, already then you have the, the music. And I would say, honestly, the thing that was most in line with the tone of Universal Monsters for this special presentation was the music. The music was spot on, but that's him. He mimics music themes and music tones and, and, and he, he mimics it so well. He can do whatever he wants really. And so for him to do this, um, I can just picture him just sitting and just taking in soundtracks from Frankenstein or Frankenstein um, <laughs> and, and just taking that and, and rolling with it, you know? And <laughs> so he's created something here musically that yes. is absolutely a throwback. Absolutely. Obligatory Star Trek reference. I mean, his, his 2009 soundtrack score for the 2009 movie is amazing. Into Darkness is very good as well. And and when it goes into the Alexander Courage version of the theme, it's it's perfect. And and he is probably one of the best composers modern day composers we have. Yeah. And I'm, apparently I'm right he's a pretty good director. <laughs> well, so he went to film school. 
Like that's yes. And he went to film school, and then he also uh, took music classes at Juilliard. So I mean, he's okay. He's got it covered, right? He's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the the thing with his Star Trek theme is that his 2009 Star Trek theme that's his locks into the Alexander Courage version. Mm-hmm. And you could, they, he, it's, it's really cool the way he brings them together then. And it's, it's also a risk for him, you know, to have done that where it's like, I'm not just going to rescore the original. I am going to play with it. And I am going to, you know, just spend the whole movie doing my theme. And then when we get to the Alexander Courage original theme, they're going to lock in together because the crew is on the Enterprise and Kirk is the captain. And so musically, he is following with with everything. It's just great. It's great. He He's able to craft a story with his music. And if you're able to tie into that, it if you're able to key into that it's a, it's experiencing his his work on another level i mean up the man has the man has made some very good scores very excellent scores and i highly recommend digging into them i mean up is fantastic everything he's done is fantastic his cloverfield theme music so cloverfield the mu- the movie itself had no music at all it's found footage right mm-hmm. and so there's music in the background there's incidental stuff going on back there but you get to the end credits he wrote an 11 minute piece that is just a love letter to the uh, akira ikafube uh godzilla music and just beautiful wonderful stuff and it's one of those times where it's like i'm so glad that i already decided to stay in the movie theater and listen to the right. end credits because it was so good. And he did John Carter, which is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. He did the the newer Jurassic Park movies, and he's taking more, you know, you know John Williams stuff and and playing with that. He did Rogue One, so there he is playing with John Williams Star Wars music, and yeah, and then he's done some Marvel stuff as well. Apparently, he's done the new Space Mountain, which is what I have on my phone. As a ringtone. So, okay. I mean, the man has done, the man has, has made a lot of great, great music. Yes. And a lot of his music, he's done stuff for television as well. Lost was him. Fringe, first season. Um, yeah, he just, he's done a lot. Okay, so directing wise, though, as a director, he's directed this. And he directed a short Star Trek film. Oh, was that the um the animated one, Blip and Dot, or something like that? Yeah, the one about the tardigrade. Yeah. No, the tardigrade one. Okay. Yeah, the tardigrade one, where it was like going, trying to keep its eggs together and stuff, and yeah. Well, there you go. I wasn't a great fan of that <laughs> one, but. <laughs> yeah. So here's someone he's worked with a lot. Uh, he's worked with Kirk Thatcher. Kirk Thatcher was the narrator on that short episode of Star Trek. And Kirk Thatcher no, directed. Really? Yeah. And Kirk Thatcher directed. Looking it up right now. He directed. Oh, that's not what I wanted. I think it was the Muppet Wizard of Oz. Huh. 
Yeah, Muppet Wizard of Oz was directed by Kirk Thatcher. And guess who did the music for that? Well, there you go. Michael. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, here's our other Star Trek connection. Would you like to uh, talk a little bit about what you discovered about Kirk Thatcher? <laughs> this poor guy. <laughs> He's going to die. And on his tombstone is going to be the punk from <laughs> Star Trek 4. <IV. laughs> this poor guy. Yeah, no, he's also in this show, which which I didn't realize that the guy with the beard. Does he have a name? Is he named? In this? Yeah. Yeah, where? I just had that. Um, so the hunters are all original creations from everything I could tell. They're they're not from Marvel Comics. His name is Joven. Okay. Well, Joven is also the punk from Star Trek Four. <laughs> We're not going to talk about his most recent stint in the Star Trek universe. Well, why not? You want to get my hackles up, right? I don't want to get your hackles up. <laughs> I was trying to avoid your hackles. No. Yeah. So Kirk Thatcher. Everybody in this. Uh, first off, he's perfect. For whatever character he is, I can totally see this guy wielding a big axe um, and and trying to, you know, taking pleasure in killing people. So, like, his... St- all of the hunters are very stylized in their, in their uh, appearance. And that contrasts beautifully with Elsa Bloodstone, who... We're going to get to that. We're going to get to her because she's amazing. And we need more of her well, in the Marvel Universe. Let's just go there then. So okay. she's... She's amazing. Played by Laura Donnelly. And she is not Jessica Jones. Right. Not okay. Kristen Just, just going to throw it out there. You think she might be, but she's not. <laughs> At least I thought she might be. Oh, my goodness. Well, in the black and white, she definitely felt like it. But if you see color pictures of her, like on IMDb, she still does look like (laughs) Jessica Jones. But But, she's not. But she's not. And that's not bad by any means. I mean, it's not, she's not like she's, you know, not like Kristen Ritter has a a lock-in on black hair and white skin. Glancing at the corner of your eye, you think, oh, is, is Jessica Jones in this? Now, what I want to see is Kristen Ritter's Jessica Jones and El- Elsa, Laura Donnelly's Elsa Bloodstone meet together and fight somebody because that'd be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be cool. I mean, it'd also be confusing. No, no, they got to fight a bad guy together. And then, like, they can. You're like, which one's which? Who's who's doing what? They can make quips back and forth. Well, obviously, Elsa's gonna. That's the other thing. They have a lot of attitude. They they share attitude. Right. So Elsa's gonna have the bloodstone. So you're gonna make the the you know the the uniqueness of the that fight in their fighting style. And then. Jessica Jones is going to throw some sort of quippy quippiness, which is retorted by Elsa Bloodstone. And yeah. somebody's going to say, ask about building a snowman. You know, that's going to happen. 
Yeah, you're probably right about that too. Um, so, Kevin, if you're listening, all right, so we can check off. <laughs> we can check off. We can check off our Pixar reference right there. We can check off our Star Trek reference right there. We can't check off our Chekhov's gun yet. Chekhov but, reference. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so what else do we have for style? Uh, I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, it's done in a black and white tone and then it brings mm-hmm. the color in at the end, which is an interesting thing when they, uh, this is something else. Whenever Elsa comes on the screen, I shouldn't say whenever there's three times where we get a tinny pop music record player, um, old style gramophone kind of record player thing. Mm-hmm. And those three times are all three times. It's Elsa who is the visual person anchoring the screen when those come on, which I find interesting. I don't know if that means anything or what, but at the end she sits down with a bloodstone and slowly color returns to the world as she sits there holding it, trying to decide what's going to happen next for her. And so that was an interesting style choice as well. And it's somewhere over the rainbow. And so it's got the black and white to color, a kind of motif going on as well that you get from the wizard of Oz. So there's that. And then there's also the shadows, the use of shadows, uh, which that was a big part of the, you know, universal monsters and horror movies in general is using shadow and darkness and contrasting that with light. But two times he used shadow with the werewolf uh, actually, yes. three times he used Shadow with the Werewolf that were really effective. And the first was the transformation yes. scene. That was just yes. awesome. Where, where the lights are flickering. Her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, and so you're not looking at him, you're looking at her reacting mm-hmm. to him. But behind her, you see the shadow of what's happening. And I thought that was really, really effective. This is I, a couple complaints that I've seen about this. One is the length, one is that it's not scary. And I would throw out there. It's not meant to be scary. When was the last time you were scared by a movie, especially a monster movie? Like it doesn't happen much. We're jaded, you know, we're naive. No, no, we're not naive. We're the opposite of naive. (laughs) We're worldly, you know, we, right. I don't like being scared by movies. I mean, personally, I, I don't like, I guess uh, the scariest movie I've ever seen is American history X because it's real, right? I don't yeah. want to watch. And then if it's not scary, it's either jump scares, which I, I feel cheated by, or I feel like, you know, I got gypped or something, or it's uh gore. And I'm like, well, what's the point in that? And we got a lot of that in multiverse of madness. So we don't necessarily need it in here you know it was to me this there's some gore here and yeah it wasn't but i guess the point it wasn't uh, overused um it was used the right amount and it was in a tone that was not yeah there's gore but it's not gory does that make sense yeah yeah um, I mean, you got someone's arm gets cut off. There's blood splatters. There's the hallway fight, which is the uh, second shadow right. thing for the werewolf, where you've got the camera um, pulling in toward the door and flickering lights. 
and it's a hallway fight. <laughs> and, and then Daredevil comes out and has the yeah, best hallway yeah. fight. And it's like, that's And he's really wearing cool. a stupid costume that's supposed to be designed by, oh, sorry, uh, that's, that's <laughs> another show. rant for another episode. Okay. But so you've, you've got that one where it's using shadow and light. You can see the monster, but there's shadow and light being juxtaposed there as the mm-hmm. camera goes in uh, down the hallway and the blood splatters are splattering on the camera, which yeah. is, you know, it's a 3d conceit kind of a thing, you know, where, you know, 3d movies would throw things at the camera like that. It's also a modern thing where you just have, you know, water droplets or blood or whatever splashing on the camera. Um, and that's probably one of the places where you realize the most, like this is definitely a modern riff on like the forties horror mm-hmm. cinema but it's not mimicking it exactly but it's, it's also it's not taking you out of it you know it it when they when the blood splatter on the camera I was drawn into that rather than oh look they just splattered blood i was like okay that i get this this is kind of cool because the the way it was done it wasn't just blood splattering on the camera it was in that push in while we're going into this room mm-hmm. and the door is closing, you know, there's a time limit. It, he went to film school. You can tell <laughs> like he knows yeah. how to use. <laughs> and if that would be my, maybe my one complaint is this is very by the numbers, so to speak, this very much is we've got, um, the hero's journey happening here, you know, and there's right down to, um, you know, allies picking up weapons along the way, slight mentoring. Uh, you've got the, um, the peaceful moment in the middle there where they're in the, in the tomb. But what I, I'm not, I'm not insulting it by saying by the numbers, it's doing the things that work, right? It's telling a story that works and, and doing it very briskly. So, okay, so yes, it is very formulaic, which there's nothing wrong with formulaic. And by all means, the man knows how to make a movie. I'm not saying that, that he doesn't. Um, I feel like, I want to say it's like a senior thesis, but it's so much better than that has any right to be oh, compared yeah, yeah. to. You know what I mean? But it's it's very – it uses all the things that you learn in school to tell a story. And then it does it very well. And you're like, okay, I can see where he did that. I can see where he did that. But then it – the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, I guess is the way to put it. There's something special there. I feel like though he his filmmaking here is almost the same way I would describe some of his composing. Not all of his composing. He has some other soundtracks where he's not riffing on something from the past. But a right. lot of his soundtracks are either a modern riff on something from the past with like Star Trek 2009 or a direct riff on on something from the past like the uh, Jurassic Park movies or whatever. And and this feels like it's, he's riffing on things for the past. He's, um, he's doing it by, I feel like there's a great flow to the thing. There's a flow to this piece 
where it's like handing off point of view from Elsa to Jack and from Jack mm-hmm. back to Elsa. And it's, it's, uh, in the same way that you'd have a musical motif being passed from one instrument to another, you know? And so it's, it's, I, I hope you don't get me wrong when I say by the numbers, but it's like somebody who can compose, you know, and they sit down and say, I'm going to compose this. That'll give you these feelings to be used in this movie, or I'm going to sit down and write a really strong screamo metal song, right? Well, if they know what, what's supposed to be in a screamo metal song, which I don't even know that's a thing, but I think I'm close to something that's real. Um, that, yeah, that's going to be a thing that's going to work well because you know, what goes into it, you know? And if you're going to write an episode of Star Trek Voyager from season three, you know what it's going to look like, you know, what it's going to feel like, and you know, it's going to be reset by the end, you know? And so you, you have, you follow the beats, you know, and that's what he's doing here. But the thing that I appreciate the most about from the script, which I don't think he wrote the script. I think he directed this thing, but I don't think he did the script for it. Um, Vamp, I'll look. Well, I, I was looking to story by Heather Quinn, teleplay by Heather Quinn and Peter Cameron. So to them, I say, I really, really appreciate the storytelling that goes into this 52 minutes or 53 mm-hmm. minutes or whatever. There's so much that's implied that's not explained that doesn't need to be explained. No, that just it, it's explained in one sentence, but it's not even told exactly what it is, but it's uh, what's her name? Um Velusa, I'm gonna. Look oh, for the it. the 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 old lady. Verusa, not Velusa. Verusa, and oh, she yeah. says, "Oh, what a lover!" You know, and then and and then you see Elsa's face, and you can see there's so much behind that. Now that's acting, that's directing, and then that's also script, and you have so many things like that where it's just, um. We, you know, the hunt does this. We have this whole background thing. We don't need to know exactly how these hunters work, but we get the idea. You know, this is this is their relationship with each other. And so it's brisk and it's a short film. You know, it's 55 minutes, which is at the least only two thirds of a movie, you know, like, uh, but at the same time, because they're implying and they're doing this, but then also when uh, so I'm always struck by this whenever I get around to October and I start watching universal uh, monster movies. I was watching the mummy movies, which I not seen some of them ever. Um, but they're all like 60, 65 minutes. Yeah. Like they're all extremely short, not feature length for what we would say would be a feature length film. Um, and, and this is just a part of the, a piece of that, you know, it's the same thing. You don't need there's a shock value to those classic, you know, those classic universal monster movies, right? You don't need a whole backstory about Frankenstein or Frankenstein. Frankenstein. We've already seen it. Uh, Well, but that's not entirely true because some of those uh movies, some of those movies, 10 to 15 minutes of the movie is actually from the previous movie. Well, yeah. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> Which is kind of funny. The mummy movies got a little repetitive. And yeah, because they're they're making them cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the point is, it's not about his. You know what drove? Again, they show up for this this hunt. 
we're in it. We're there. We know what we're, we don't know what we're getting, but we know we're in for a ride. All of our questions are answered. We have more questions and we're left satisfied. We don't need any more. All, yeah, all the answers we need to understand this story right now mm-hmm. are given to us. It is short story filmmaking. And, you know, a short story versus a novel are two very different animals. And that's the same kind of thing here. This is in between. This is a novella, right? Mm-hmm. But we know just through the interaction, Ulysses Bloodstone, probably not a great dad uh, and not a great guy, well, but killed monsters over MCU. time. What? He is a dad. He is that's a dad true. in that's the true. MCU, so <laughs> he's probably not a good dad to begin with. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, but that's that's him <laughs> in the comics. Is He's a, more of a hero in the comics. But he, uh, you know, over just hundreds of years has been killing monsters. And now he's dead. And the bloodstone that gave him power needs to be given to someone else. But he's estranged from his daughter. And so that... And the relationship between his daughter and the woman who she's not even in the running of uh, Verusa. She doesn't even want the bloodstone, but she wants the bloodstone to go to the right person in the right way. And there's ceremony and there's structure. And Elsa is upsetting all of that, you know? And so you got all these relationships that's happening and it's working. And then we get into the contests that they're going to have. And the hunters, we don't need to know anything about them other than they're cool. Right. They They look look cool cool. and they have a cool attitude and they can fight well and they have certain number of kills under their belt. And yeah. So, and the only one that's a little mysterious because every single one of them, Kirk Thatcher, the Marilyn Manson lookalike, the, the other guy, Marilyn Manson or David Bowie. I couldn't decide. You know, one is the other. (laughs) they're the same i mean they're not the same but visually they could you could make the argument they're the same um it it doesn't you don't need to know more about them you need to watch them do a cool thing and then get dead by a werewolf (laughs) that's what you need to do (laughs) or a swamp monster or a swamp monster yeah but other than that, you don't. They don't need to exist in any other way. No, we know all their motivation. Mm-hmm. Verusa wants to do things right for her husband or her lover, whatever. Um, Elsa wants none of them to have the bloodstone. They don't deserve it. They shouldn't have it. And Jack just wants to get in and get out with his friend. And that's right. all we need to know. And the hunters want the bloodstone too, because they want the power that Ulysses had. Right. And that, and that it works. Uh, it's short. Them all gathering is tropey. Like we understand what that is. Oh, they're all gathering for a hunt. They're going to hunt. Oh, some of them are going to die. Cause that's the way this has got to work. <laughs> you know, they're not trying to like <laughs> make it new. But it's not bad that it's not new, I guess. is I, I, I need to keep reiterating that because there's something comforting, and, and nostalgia is the right word, something comforting about it being the same. Like, we know what it is. It's going to play out like this and this and this. And then when she is able to talk to Ted, that is fantastic. Ben, would you like to talk about your swamp? your man thing now 
Yeah, Ooh, wait, okay. No, so not this type of podcast. Ben, would you like to talk about the swamp monster now? <laughs> okay. I made promises that I would not make that kind of joke on my I did swamp not make, podcast. So I did but not, you, not make me. That You're promise. right. It's true. <laughs> so but anyway, yeah, so this is uh, the character is not one hundred percent comic book accurate in its personality, but that's because it has no personality in the comics. I was or say. hasn't had much of one in the comics. It, uh, they're modern iterations of the character. It is acting more like what you've got going on here, but um, he's the nexus of all realities in the comics. And here, right now, he's just a monster who can touch people and make them burn. And they don't even mention that whoever knows fear burns at the the man things touch, but. Both of the characters who did get burned by him had fear, and Elsa, who confronted him and you know went face to face with him, was able to steal herself and not have fear when she was talking to him, and he did not attack her. And um, but the style of stories that I really like that he's in tend to be like this kind of thing where he is not there because the story is about him. The story is about other people, and he's just part of the you know the machination behind what's happening you know and so here he's being used as the monster to hunt you know and that kind of thing where he they're coming after him so yeah i really appreciated his appearance the physical appearance comic book accurate oh my word he looks so good in this in black and white he looks great in color he looks amazing and uh the personality he's kind of almost like a chewbacca uh, mm-hmm. to Jack Russell's uh, Han Solo, where he, you know, Jack can understand the growls. Uh, but yeah, he's, there's, there's a nice little thing there where they could go further. Uh, there is in the comics, a comic book that they did that was the Legion of Monsters. And it was kind of a one-off thing that they've gone back and done some riffs on since then. But Legion of Monsters has its man thing it's, I believe, Werewolf and Ghost Rider and one or two others in there. I can't remember now. And I don't have a copy of it easily at hand. So I couldn't tell you. But anyway, they could easily be building up to that sort of thing here if they wanted to. And bring in, you know, bring back Ghost Rider. And yeah, I think that they're there could be some things that they could do there but yeah one of my favorite characters finally on screen and not ruined by a terrible movie i feel like there's there's another story to that and i don't know what it is the movie man thing is not great (laughs) that's pretty much it (laughs) okay got it got it got it yeah <laughs> I, I saw a meme that said, "Wouldn't it be uh, or something about Man Thing stealing Werewolf by Night's uh, movie?" <laughs> and he kind of does. I mean, he comes on screen, he kills a bunch of people, he has a moment of tenderness, and then the end is perfect. <laughs> so. But what, here's what's nice about the end, okay? Uh, so he gets the he kills Kirk Thatcher, mm-hmm. and then they get him out of there. He escapes. He runs away. But when he does come back, he's back. I I feel like he's kind of like 
back to normal after having been affected by the bloodstone. And who does he kill? He kills the person who imprisoned him. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's that kind of satisfaction of the big bad, the villain of the piece. Yeah, it's it's Man Thing who takes her, her down. It's not uh, it's not Jack. So right. Jack, his main conflict is with himself. So like you have the conflict between Man Thing and Verusa. You have the conflict between Elsa and Verusa, and it's kind of nice. Elsa doesn't get to kill her. Elsa kills the only people she kills are people who attack her who come after her. And so there's some sort of code there. And, you know, they say you weren't trained. And she says, I wasn't trained here by him. And again, that gives us backstory. We don't need to know exactly what she was doing, where she was doing, but we know she's been trained and she can hold her own in a fight. And what's great about her being in the MCU is that it very well could be that we'll see her again. That's what's that's what I'm really excited about. We could see her somewhere, but we also could never see her again and it'd be fine. But the ability for her to show up is now implanted in these, you know, 750 hours or whatever it is <laughs> of yeah. content. Yeah. yeah, the same with the werewolf and the same with man thing and no yeah. one else in this show because they're all dead. <laughs> Because they're all dead. Unless they yeah. go back and do a prequel and then we'll Yeah, see yeah, I guess they could do that. But, yeah. but that's not a that's not a typical MCU type thing. So the three characters who are introduced to the MCU here and who are toys that can be played within the MCU uh-huh. going forward are all comic book accurate. Like there's very good representation here of the comic book characters. Also Bloodstone is she was in the comics. I believe her father actually trained her, but she's going around fighting monsters and protecting monsters. You know, like she's a part of a lot of different uh, supernatural themed stories. And I haven't had too much experience with her within the pages of the comic books, but I have had some, some of the comics that I've read where she's shown up and yeah, she's got a big old gun and she's, you know, got like weapons and this is, in a lot of ways, this is almost her origin story for how does she become someone who deserves to be cared about in the MCU? Well, she gets the bloodstone, she gets a couple weapons and she gets the mansion. Like she gets her, her inheritance, her legacy. Um, Jack Russell, (laughs) the look that they give the werewolf is very comic book accurate. It looks great and is very close to the comic books. And just, and they kept his name. They kept his name, Jack Russell. I'm so glad they did that, even though I hate the name. So uh, they, would you say they succeeded in MCUing that character? Uh, yeah. I mean, but they did it by not changing much. Right. You know, he's a werewolf. And we're just going to stick with it. I, I, I would say the, the three characters who they've, they've got here have been MCU'd very well, brought into the MCU in a manner that makes it feel like it fits. We now have seen things that are vampire adjacent for when Blade comes. Um, and we have an episode if that we're going to talk happens. about someone else who's vampire adjacent from, from She-Hulk. But yeah, yeah, if he comes, there's that news that just came out about uh, 
looking for a new director. And so it's been kind of placed on hold a little bit for blade. Yeah. And I also heard, I also think I read somewhere that the Marsh. Oh, I'm going to mess up his name. The lead actor is not happy with the script. So, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that hurts. But I could be wrong about that. So don't, don't, don't take that to the bank. Anyway, <laughs> what I like is that they have a, you know, a, a model for man thing. And, you know, one of the things about man thing, at least that I've sort of gleaned from how many years of doing this podcast with you, Ben, is that he can show up, do a thing and be gone. Right. He doesn't yeah. have to have his own movie. He doesn't have to have his own TV series. You know, what, what did, what did, uh, Maria Hill say? Like, who way, or what is a man thing? Yeah. You know, way back, way back when, right? So, man thing, I think, is best used in very small doses. Now, do we want to see him again? Yeah, of course. Who doesn't? Do we need to see him again? No. <laughs> no, just let him no. be for a while. And honestly, I'm glad that to get him in a thing like this where. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad to get him in a thing like this. It's short, simple, fun. And yeah, we don't. The Man Thing movie, unfortunately, tried too hard to, to be scary and failed. And then it tried really hard to be like a good TV movie. I don't know. I need to go back and revisit it. I, I need to give it one more chance. So one more chance in my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you keep saying that, and I, uh, you know, make sure. And I just haven't gotten around to it. Make sure your one more chance is really only one more chance. Yeah. I... Uh, <laughs> so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this: Is Man Thing? A Dracula is a scary monster. Frankenstein's monster is a scary monster. Is Man Thing scary? Quote unquote. Well, in the comics. In the comics, yes. In the same way that like a storm can be scary, right? So, depending on the story you can have like a character that you don't want to get hurt, but who is doing something and you know, Oh, that's a, that's a person who's just going to get scared. Right. And so he gets confronted by the man thing and the man thing touches him and he burns and dies, you know? And so you, you've just got these things where the emotional situation of two people that would just be a regular human conflict gets, interrupted by this character, the man thing that comes through and, you know, becomes the wild card and, and throws just throws it into chaos. And, and so then sometimes he helps the good guys to win because he happens to come through at the right time. Sometimes he's there and just brings an ironic twist to the ending. There's, there's all sorts of ways, ways that he gets used. But again, I'm talking about more the old, stories that I really like, which are written by Steve Gerber and uh, Peter David did some good ones, but those are the ones that I'm talking about. And 
you know, later on he becomes the nexus of all realities where it's just a matter of using him to jump from one universe to another universe or to protect him because it was protecting the fabric of the, of space time or whatever it might be. So it's, yeah. Is he a scary character? Sure. He can be, but it's in the same way, like I said, of he's not evil. He's not good. He's neutral. And in those stories I'm talking about, he is attracted to high emotion and so he's he's a human who has lost his humanity and is now in this body and is just shambling around and you know being you know tossed by the by the winds and the waves of the world and just trying to be you know just trying to live life you know are you <laughs> saying he's trying to walk the earth like Cain <laughs> Uh, a little bit. It's more that he just wants to stay at his home in the swamp in Florida. So, <laughs> yeah. so okay. So, so who's Ted, and why is why is Man Thing's name Ted? Because that's his. That's who he was. He was Ted Salas, okay. and Ted Salas was working on a super soldier serum. <gasps> there you go. And when he realized that the people who were coming to like collect it were bad guys. He took all the stuff, destroyed it, and then he injected himself with the serum. And then he falls into the swamp, and there's a connection between the science of the serum and the magic of the mystical swamp or whatever. And it turns him into the man thing. And so here, he actually has a little bit of a personality. Here, Ted is actually a part of his character. But Ted is not really much of a part of his character in the comics until actually the most recent version of the character that I'm aware of. Um, there's a three part issue, a three issue series that was for his 50th anniversary. And Ted actually became uh, a, a part of his personality again. And they did, they did it in an interesting way, but yeah. So that's my excitement. So wasn't there also something to deal with Waxon? I don't remember. When we were covering Cloak and Dagger, I thought there was a Waxon connection and you got super excited about Man-Thing and Waxon. <laughs> but I could be wrong. I don't remember now. Listeners, my memory's not great. And and sometimes it lies. Clearly, mine as well. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, Man Thing was great. Elsa Bloodstone was great. Jack, Jack Terrier, Jack, Jack no. Russell, Jack Russell, not Jack the Ripper, which is what my brain wanted to say really bad. A uh, Jack Russell, I thought was really cool. I liked how they played with it a little bit. So, like. I guess I didn't know that there was going to be a werewolf, even though it said werewolf by night. To be fair, I also didn't know there was going to be a man thing. So, like, I went into this completely blind, and I liked the reversal of... I mean, it's almost at, like, the halfway point, right, <laughs> of, the, of the story. They get uh, the bloodstone off of Ted, and they're like, well, now what are we... Oh... Oh, you're gonna you're the you're the werewolf. Yeah. Okay. And then it goes into that those shots that we were talking about earlier. Um so that I liked that reversal. 
and I thought on second viewing, uh, you get to see more of Jack Russell's sort of. So at one point, Verusa says, and over a hundred kills, and he's like, or deaths. She says it in a way that that does not make it clear that he killed everybody. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. It was a it was a nice way to make him likable. Because, you know, towards the end, he's a pretty kind of a scary werewolf guy. And then he has coffee and everything's fine. Yeah. And has a good laugh. You know. Yeah. <laughs> he and, and, he and the man thing have a have a laugh together and listen to music together. He's got a guitar there in his campsite. And like mm-hmm. he's this is where they live. This is where they hang. This is their place. And they're walking the like, earth together. Right. <laughs> I feel like that was almost a like can you imagine that last scene being a post credit i can it's interesting because there is no post credit here and the reason they did no post credit is because they felt like this is the story we wanted to tell and we're done with the story right Mm -hmm. i I don't think they could have done that scene as a post credit because of the way it ties into the whole somewhere over the rainbow color it's a new day Mm -hmm. you know we we this is a one night it goes dark for jack you know, and now this is him waking up to a new day. But can you imagine that scene being a post credit for something like Shang Chi? You go to <laughs> you go to Shang Chi, you see Shang Chi, you're like, oh yay, Shang Chi's cool. The credits roll, and then it's just Jack Russell and Man Thing sitting there having coffee. I mean, and I Man guess. Thing, of course, is like twelve feet tall because it's in the theater. Like that would have been fun, but I don't need to rewrite the show. <laughs> no, no. So here's ways that they made this just for me for my birthday. <laughs> um, so, and was it last year or was it two years ago where we got hell hellstrom for my birthday? I think it was two years ago, maybe even three. Uh, it feels like a long, it was a long time. time ago. Yeah. But this is my birthday present from Marvel. They throw in, you know, man thing. We've got werewolf by night, which is another character that I like. You know, if you look at my shelf, I've got one. Is it two volumes? No, I think it might just be one volume of werewolf by night. No, I think it's two. I can't see because he's behind my uh, Frankenstein, Frankenstein uh, bank bust. But um, it's got universal monsters style. Which I'm loving that. And there's a tuba. A flaming tuba. Yes. And that was so which was cool. Such a cool procession when they're walking. But that was my instrument in high school. Oh really? I was the tuba player. Yes. I yes, I played the trumpet and then the baritone horn. I started baritone and then moved to tuba. I actually didn't play sousaphone. So I guess technically you could say, sorry, Ben, you didn't. You weren't (laughs) playing the same thing. But um, but yeah, I had the upright tuba and it was silver. It was a beautiful instrument. I regret selling it, but 
I sold it to pay for three months of rent with my wife when we first got married. <laughs> so, you know, there are worse things. No, oh, definitely, definitely. Like not having a place to live with your new right. wife, right? Uh, but yeah, that that procession with the with the um with the the fire and and that was really that falls deeply into the into the style category. Yeah. For, yeah. All right. Looking through my notes. Oh, another thing was uh, the maze with its you know different shapes and stuff. But the sound design when they're going through the maze, there's so many birds singing. It's, it sounded like a bird sanctuary. <laughs> and, <laughs> but then it makes sense when you think about you know the possibility of like is this where they practice hunting? You know, and were those birds like just? Were they there because they were there for, you know, the leftovers of what was hunted or. It's not actually what, birds. But... They're just vultures. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've actually hit pretty much everything else though. We talked about the, we didn't talk much about themes. Oh, uh, did I mention that in the hallway fight, there was a Wilhelm scream. So that's fun. Yeah. That always good to find a Wilhelm scream. And you already mentioned the tender moment that the man thing had with, uh, with Elsa there at the end, but we also got what I call a TMM, which is tender monster moment with, uh, Ted, not Ted with Jack and her where he's going to tear into her. And that's where you get, you know, what's going to happen, right? But that's where you get character tension. You know, he did the whole smell thing. He did the whole eye contact thing. And, and now you have this moment where you know what's going to happen, but it's still a great moment. You don't have to be surprised by the plot for it to be good because but it gives also, you moments. Yeah. But it also leaves the door open for it to go poorly because she's like, has this ever worked? And he's like, well, once. So it could go poorly for her. It's not going to. This is the new MCU heroine, not the drug, the female, you know, hero. Jeez, people. Uh, <laughs> this is the new, you know, this is a new MCU hero. So it's not going to be one of those situations where it, where she dies, but it could be, you know, that they've made it. There is some tension there. Well, I think that we can end it there. So on my yeah. iPad, which when I started and pressed play, you know, almost an hour ago, we are in the uh, Portuguese credits for Brazil. 30 seconds well, left. So we did I, it. I, <laughs> uh, I think it's time for us to be done. Do you have any final uh, words, parting words for our listeners? We haven't even talked about what we're going to do for post credit. Ooh. Oh, you know what we're going to do for post-credit. I don't remember. We talked about something, but I don't remember what. The Star Trek 3 trailer. Picard. Oh, we can definitely talk about that. Sure. <laughs> That'll yeah. take us another hour. Uh, <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> we can't do it for another hour. <laughs> uh, I'm going to thank all the listeners. Thank you guys for listening and, and sticking with us. And, and you know, I hope that you guys get enough as much enjoyment out of this as we do and 
you know, um, I'm sorry that we're not as regular as we'd like, but that's the way it works. Yeah. I also want to say thank you. I am going to take uh, Samantha's job and say thank you to our Patreon patrons, Julie, Blessed Cheesemaker, 084. Uh, it's not Tassel. It's it is Tazzle. Is it Tazzle? Tazzle. Yeah. Tazzle, Jeffrey, and Andrew. And I want to say thank you so much for spending time with us here. Uh, but also thank you so much for supporting us and allowing us to be able to record uh, in this Riverside where it costs money to record there. But it's so much more convenient and easy. Yes. And also helps us pay for the websites. It helps us to pay for uh, episode hosting and all these different things. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for being Patreon patrons. We really appreciate it. And you can go to patreon.com slash welcome to level seven, and you can support us at any level and you will get early access to some episodes. And usually the early access that you get to these episodes will be raw, unedited with extra conversation, both at the beginning sometimes in the middle and at the end. So things that get edited out, get kept in for that. And that means little side conversations and, and extra little bits like that. So, yeah. So again, thank you so much for being a Patreon patron. So I just want to thank, uh, I think it's time for me to end this episode and I'm going to end this episode in the words of Ted. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard from us, now we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voicemail by calling 1-775-5-LEVEL-7. That's 1-775-553-8357. Or send us an email. Just send it to studioavery at gmail.com. You can also join us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash welcome to level seven. The seven is spelled out. And don't forget, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash welcome to level seven. The seven is spelled out and become a Patreon supporter there. Get early access to episodes, get bonus material that doesn't go out on the regular feed. And if you do that, thank you so much. But once again, I want to thank everyone for joining us in the conversation. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed. Hey, Stuart. Yeah. Hi. Oh. <laughs> What's going on there? I'm trying to was trying to watch the trailer, and the TV just went bonkers. So just give me a minute. I'm going to turn the TV <laughs> off, but I have to go like across the room and yank the plug because my the remote's not working. So just one second. <laughs> okay. So what I have to try and decide is I could leave this in and say that's the kind of thing that you get if you listen to us on uh, with the Patreon feed. So maybe I'll I'll do that. <laughs> leave this in for you. This is the kind of thing that you get. The bonus stuff. The mistakes, the bloopers, the restarts, the do-overs. <laughs> it, it's it's value-added material for um, uh, for Patreons. Yeah. So. Okay. So Google let's start Chromecast over. Is not my favorite. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Let's pretend the music just ended. Here we go. <clears throat> okay. 
Do, 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 do. Hey, Stuart. Yeah. Have you seen the What's up, Ben? Picard trailer? Yeah. Picard season yeah. three trailer? Yeah. Do you like it? What do you think about that? Did you like it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I there's some. <laughs> I have some. I have some thoughts. I'm going to be interested to see what the show is like. But overall, it's new. It's new TNG, so I'm happy with it. Yeah. What, what do you, so, do you think about it, Ben? I, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. You know, uh, Picard season one and two. It was fun to see the character. And some of yeah. the other characters, but yeah. uh, they weren't the greatest, you know, I, I felt like it was okay. And I really would prefer to have seen, you know, Star Trek the Next Generation season eight, which is what we're getting with Picard season three. We think. I think. I think Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think the best, for me, the best part about Picard season two was having Wesley show up. So like, and, and oh. I don't get me wrong. I did like seeing seven and, um, you know, some of the other characters, but I felt the, the back in time story was a little weird. So it'll be interesting to see what it looks like in the future. Yeah. So there's some interesting stuff though, from the trailer where we see a new villain played by Amanda Plummer who I did not know that's who that was. It wasn't until afterward. What? I didn't know. I didn't know that was Amanda Plummer either until I'd read online that she is the final TNG villain. And her father was the final TOS villain, which is Christopher Plummer. I had no idea that that was her father. No idea. I'm going to verify that now that I said that on to the internet. I, I read it as well. And so let me just make sure Amanda (laughs) Plummer is Christopher, the daughter of Canadian actor, Christopher Plummer. Okay, cool. We, that's, that's accurate. I'd hate to be spreading misinformation. Um, yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, the only thing I know her from is Pulp Fiction. <laughs> the only thing I can yeah, like. it was Pulp Fiction. I've seen her in a couple other things. I remember her in a time travel episode of The Outer Limits. Um, and yeah, she showed up on some TV shows too. But I had no clue that was her. But what an interesting dynamic as a villain that she brings uh, something new. Like that's that's kind of right. nice. But apparently has some sort of connection to Picard and his his crew uh and then I don't know like if you haven't seen the trailer and you didn't want to see it because you didn't want to be spoiled by it you should probably stop listening right now yeah that's probably an accurate if you have seen the trailer then we're not going to spoil anything for you if you plan to see the trailer stop watch it right now and then restart the podcast here because what we're about to talk about is spoilers from the trailer I almost wish I hadn't seen it but there's no way I wouldn't have gotten spoiled. Like I would have seen people talking about this or heard people talking about who showed up in the trailer. And it is the kind of thing where you almost feel like they're searching next generation for some con characters, right? Characters from (laughs) parts past that are recognizable 
from just a little bit, you know, but pull them they, into the future. And they're not going to use some Ferengi. That's what they're not going to do. They might. I don't know, but I don't know. It's I, okay. So, so here's, here's what it's been. Do you, I, the honor is yours, sir. Well, there's two of them. So I'll take one. You take the other. All right. Wait, which one do I get? Uh, you just take the one you want right now and I'll take the other one. Okay, good. Because I don't know the first one you're talking about, but oh. the second one is Moriarty shows back up and lore lore. So when you see, yeah, when you see Brent Spiner, he's got gray hair, but he's data makeup and LaForge says lore. He says his name. Lore shows up. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have legitimately. I did not know that. (laughs) Did you think it was data or benign? Yeah. Something like that. Um, to be honest, I was looking for Worf and then I'm more of a pacifist (laughs) now. Shut up. No one likes that. No one likes that Worf. Just, just put that, put that in a box Put that box in another box. Mail that box to yourself so you can smash that box with a hammer. Get that out of there. No one likes that. Uh, and I just want to see Wesley again. <laughs> That's what I want to see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But but I do like the idea that uh, uh, Moriarty is showing up. Because those episodes of Star Trek where Moriarty was involved in were really good. And the actor who played Moriarty um, was fantastic as Moriarty. And so to, to bring that character back and do have something interesting with it is I think interesting. I mean, I, I thought the Q coming back in season two, um, I thought Q coming back in season two was an interesting take on Q. So I don't think that, um, Moriarty coming back is going to be, you know, a throwaway thing, but it'll be interesting. Yeah. I just, that's a great character and mm-hmm. one that they, like, if you're going to watch through the seven seasons of Star Trek next generation, that's a character to bring back. Like that's one yeah. to say what happened with that guy, you know, lore. It, and then it almost feels like you've got this new villain and these two villains, maybe, um, but it almost feels like I'm wondering if she's just collecting people who have a grudge against Picard and yeah. coming after them. So, yeah. I, I mean, the reason to have lore in there is so that you can have Brent Spiner in there because data died at the end of season one. Right. Right. And then they bring Spiner back to play. Um, Somebody. Uh, What's his last name? What's what's the his creator's name? Singh? Yeah. I can't remember now. Condon but his Singh. creator's ancestor. Right. And yeah. So Which, how many times has he played that? <laughs> Different iterations. Which is why it worked, though. <laughs> right. Which is why, I mean, which is why I did not think it was lore. I just thought, oh, Brent Spiner's back. <laughs> So is it, I mean, is it data or is it Brent Spiner? Doesn't matter. It's one of them. (laughs) But LaForge actually says the name lore 
Oh, I'll have to, I will have to rewatch that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm excited for the new series. It's, I think it's going to be fun. Um, and I hope it, the, the first series of Picard was nice in that it gave us a chance to see the Star Trek universe post nemesis, right? Uh-huh. Which is what we always wanted, you know, even going back to the 2009 Star Trek film, people were like, why are they going back? Why not show us what's ahead? You know, that sort of thing. And then they went in discovery and like, no, 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 that's too far ahead. <laughs> we wanted to see what's, what's, what's right after nemesis. So that's yeah. what we got. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it sort of concludes. I, I don't And know. then. And then everybody's done. Well, that's the thing, though. They said this is the final journey or whatever mm-hmm. in a tweet from Star Trek itself, you know, and then Jonathan Frake says, maybe not final. <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen? But well, I mean, uh, <laughs> Patrick Stewart is not a young man anymore. No, he's not. He's not. And neither is Frakes, honestly. Jonathan Frakes is not that young. I mean, none of them are, are young anymore. Yeah. But So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what it happens after that. I I think um, Frakes is, you know, he will always be Mr. Star Trek. And what's great about Jonathan Frakes is that he's a, he's a fantastic director. And he's directed many things. Um, in the Star Trek universe, you know, Discovery and Lower Decks. And out of it, too. Yeah. Uh, his stuff on Leverage is one of, some of the best episodes. Um, those are the only things I know of he, <laughs> that he's done. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he's he's a fantastic director, so I can't wait to see what he does. Um, and, and they all look great, you know? Even Worf and his, I'm a pacifist, whatever. Yeah. That, that, I don't, I didn't realize how much that bothered me until I started talking with you about it right now. But like, I don't want Worf to be a pacifist. I want Worf to be struggling with that, you know. But he might be. Like, we don't, we don't know what his, like, philosophically, he may be a pacifist, but, you know, personality may not be, you know. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, we've but got. I, it's nice I'm to excited see for it. This. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun. I hope. <laughs> right. That's I, I'll say thing. this. What else is in this? When you only when they reveal lore, they reveal Moriarty, they reveal this new villain. Like, and all, what are they hiding? Right. <laughs> what are they holding all back? This, all seven of those characters, or whatever, and you know Wesley's. He's not in any of it, but you know he's going to show up. So like, and and they still have Seven and Raffi to deal with. So like, there's so many people in this episode, in this season, you know, in this season. Here's my be question: tr- What about Salah or Sela, Commander Sela? Is she still alive or did she die? Did they kill her? Is that Denise Crosby? Uh huh. That's I her Romulan she- character. Her her half Romulan character. I heard she was coming back. So 
I heard Denise Crosby was coming back too. So like, it's going to be just like the greatest hits of everything TNG. Mr. Mott's going to show up in the back. That's an original character who could be one of those villains that they're going around and collecting. Right. uh, But I, I don't remember if she's dead or not. No, she's not dead. I don't think anyway. Okay. Because that's a way to bring her back. I mean, if they're bringing lore, why not? Why not this other villainous? Right. I mean, the next thing you know, they're going to have the crystalline entity show up. And (laughs) And why not? And maybe the, the, the space jellies from Encounter at Farpoint. Now, that would be the callback, right? Because we already went Q to Q at the end of Season 7, and then Q to Q at the end of uh, Picard Season 2. Why not the jelly creatures? You know? Why not? <laughs> and then... And then uh, I- What's interesting, though, about having Moriarty show up is that Picard didn't go up against Moriarty. He kind of did. But really, it was Data as Sherlock Holmes going up against Moriarty. Yeah, but it was getting him into the, whatever, the computer simulation where he thought he had escaped. Right. So is that... But was that Picard's doing? Well, I mean, it was part of his, like, that was Picard's, uh, yeah, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I haven't gone back and rewatched it, so I'm, I'm going to go back and rewatch the, um, those, because he was in, was he in two episodes? Yeah, it was two episodes. Because I think they so put I want to go back and thing. rewatch and see. Well, maybe not. Yeah, I think it was two episodes. But we'll have to see. Yes, uh, Ship in a Bottle. He came back. What was the first one? The first one was the second episode, or second season episode. I can't remember what it's called. So you're not going to bring back Pulaski? Dude, I would love it. I liked her. I know some Is Diana Moldar even alive? I did. That I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Diana Manuel D A R. So Yeah, she's yeah, still so alive. So that was the, there's two episodes. Man. So that's cool. Um I mean Yeah, so that second episode with him in season six, they convinced him that he had escaped but he's actually living inside uh basically a a disc right um, a computer module and right that was on data's thing i don't know yeah oh it'll be in but he was also in oh that was a hallucination he was also in a lower decks episode so <laughs> <laughs> lower decks is a thing that i uh, I was not. Peanut Hamper needs to go also in that box with worse path pacifism. Well, 
that is kind of how they ended the episode was put her in that box. Yeah. Yeah. That, that (laughs) needs to happen because, Ooh, I was not a fan of that episode. I was not either, but that's, that's track now. (laughs) Deep Space Nine, the Deep Space Nine episode previously was so good that it was okay. (laughs) Right. So the, so where I'm sitting with it now is the Deep Space Nine episode was great. The peanut hamper episode was bad. So we're still in the middle. Yeah. Hey, we need to shut this thing down now. All right. So final words, Stuart, about Star Trek. <laughs> That's great. Keep watching it. Watch Lower Decks. Watch. What's the other one? Strange, Strange new, world. new Worlds. Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. I like Pigs that one a lot. in space. All right. I'm going to stop recording and to everyone who's listening, thank you so much for spending this time with us talking about Swamp Monsters and Star Trek. Until next time, Godspeed.